Welcome to Unapologetically Me, where we help you own who you are while giving you tips to achieve ultimate mental health. I'm your host, Boomer Peralt. What is up, everyone? Hope you are having a fantastic day, and I appreciate you tuning in to the podcast, which is brought to you by Encouragements. Encouragements is a new company that sells mints with encouraging messages. They believe the world needs a little more happy and a lot more kindness, so they are doing something about it. Encouragements reminds us we have what it takes and it encourages people to keep going, to not give up. Every time someone grabs a mint, they see the positive message. These products are designed to be given to people around us, whether it's your neighbor, friend, a stranger, teacher, mailman, or anyone who needs a smile. You can truly make a difference in someone's day. In addition to spreading kindness and encouragement, they donate a percentage of proceeds to the community because they believe in giving back. Do you have people in your life who could use some encouragement or appreciation? Check out their shop online to spread a little kindness everywhere you go at encouragements.com. And that's mints with a Z. So encourage mints, N-I-N-T-Z.com, encouragements.com. That was the sponsor. Now my guest, Shelby Gottschalk. Um, she has been diagnosed with a laundry list of chronic illnesses. Uh, but even with that, she, just by having this short conversation with her, uh, I could tell she has kept a very positive outlook on life and her positivity is very infectious. I had a great time chatting with her and I think you will all enjoy listening to her speak as well. So without giving too much away, uh, let's just get into it. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Now that we're recording this at a time that there's a pandemic going on, I figured it'd be a good place to start with being someone who has a few chronic illnesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, how have you been dealing with the current situation? Because I know people that have uh, you know, certain illnesses are more susceptible to uh, for sure. not the exposure, but you know, the intensity of what it can do to you. For sure. So, and they talk about it, you know, like the CDC, that there's like certain people with chronic illnesses that are more prone to, you know, COVID-19 and the effects of it and things like that. But luckily for me, and I say that sarcastically, I was actually diagnosed with not just these other chronic health conditions, but I was found that I have a genetic um, issue with my immune system. So I actually have a primary immune deficiency to begin with on top of all these other chronic illnesses that also suppress my immune system. So the odds have been very much against me (laughs) since the beginning. But um, so in my mind, I've always actually been kind of preparing for this in a sense. Um, I listened to a different podcast the other day that was called how are we all still alive or something like that? They're actually two girls with their own chronic illnesses and they have a podcast and they had an episode come out recently talking about privilege in just general health, like how people who are more able-bodied have kind of been taking for granted the things that they're able to do up until this point where now, you know, they have to wear masks or stay home and stay away from people. Whereas a lot of people in the chronic illness community have been having to do this for a really long time that we're actually best prepared for this. So, I mean, yes, I'm more stressed, but at the same time, I'm not in some ways because I feel like I have been prepared for this for quite a while, if that makes sense. Um, Because of my immune deficiency that I was born with, I actually am on immunoglobulin infusions. 
So once a week, I do subcutaneous infusions in my legs. And that actually gives my body back the antibodies that I'm missing because my body doesn't make them. So my immune system isn't regulating properly at all because I don't have the right antibodies. So now that I'm getting infusions, I'm you know trying to stabilize that back to the best that I can. My B cells and my T cells still don't function, so I'm still more prone to viruses like this. However, the immunoglobulin infusions definitely kind of up my game and my fighting factor. So that makes me feel like I have a little bit more of a cushion to land on. Um, but as far as you know, the other things that just kind of tackle on top of that for even other people with chronic illnesses, it's definitely something that we've had to take an extra level of precautions compared to what we normally do. Because I mean, in general, I'm not supposed to be going around people that are sick or going in large crowds without wearing a mask. I mean, that was something my immuno um, immunologist told me from the beginning. He's like, you know, if you're going to like a theme park, you should wear a mask. If you're going to be in big crowds inside buildings, you should wear a mask. So I've kind of been exposed to this in my own little world already, but like I said, it's been taking it to another level of like, oh man, like even certain family members, if you're experiencing any symptoms, I can't be around you. And, you know, not going out, I am someone that loves to go out. So that has been hard on me, even with all my issues, I am a little bit of an extrovert. So, you know, I love to go out to eat and I love to, you know, go shopping and see my friends and stuff like that. But obviously not at the time that we're in right now. You know, those are things that I've had to be like, no, like everybody else. And then just making sure I'm staying on top of my medications. That's been kind of one of the scarier things for me is a lot of like the pharmacies are having trouble kind of keeping stock of some things. So you really have to be on top of making sure you have enough like backlog of medications that are essential to keep you alive in this pandemic where everybody's trying to get medications and, you know, prepare to never leave the house. So that's my long answer, but <laughs> that's how I've been preparing for this. No, that, that was a great point though, that it's more dangerous now, but you know, you're kind of used to taking these uh, precautions to an extent um, where the rest of us, you know, this is brand new and that's why you see so many people going crazy and buying eight years worth of toilet paper uh, as if they're going to need more than they were before. So uh, that's uh, an interesting insight on that. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's not something that a lot of people have had to think about and it's no fault of theirs or yours or, you know, anybody else that is generally healthy to a point, you know, it's, that's just how you were raised. You never had to think about that. You never had to worry that you were going to go to the grocery store and come back and wake up the next day and you're sick because, you know, someone didn't touch something. And it's just surprising to me that so many people don't know how to wash their hands. That's been the most hilarious thing that came out of this to me. Like, have we not been washing our hands? Yeah. Are you kidding me? So that's been a little scary to see like, oh man, like I've been walking around the world immunocompromised, hoping people are washing their hands, but now people are actually doing it is a little, little scary. But it is, it is nice in a little bit of a sense, I think, for the chronic illness community that people are getting a little bit of a taste of what it's like. Because sometimes you have flare-ups and you can't leave the house for months. And that's just the life of us. It's not like we woke up one day and they're talking about it on the news and everyone's in the same boat as us. It's more like, oh, wow we're the only ones that are staying home today while our family and friends get to go out and do fun things, but we're sick and we're not up to it, you know? So it's a little bit of a nice perspective change, but obviously sad for the circumstances. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I hope it's a perspective that lasts with people. Cause usually when things like this happen, you know, it's in the short term, people gain that perspective and just appreciate the smaller things. But over time, when things get better, they kind of forget about it. Um, so I hope this is something that can last long term and people do appreciate things more. And like you said, do start washing their hands more frequently. Well, and I mean, even the opportunities that have been provided because of this, that was kind of something that I've heard people talking about who also have chronic illnesses is that, wow, like we did have the opportunity to work from home. 
how interesting mm-hmm. that now the businesses are saying that's an option when before it wasn't. And then people with chronic illnesses have a hard time, you know, going in on days mm-hmm. where they're having a hard time, but they need money, you know? So even businesses knowing that, hey, people can still work from home and like kick it is amazing. But yeah, I think it's just going to be about people bringing the awareness up more frequently so we don't forget you know like reminding people when things go back to normal like hey yeah this is amazing i'm so excited that we're back to normal but you know let's try to remember what that was like for you when you have a friend that has a chronic illness and they're not able to leave the house and you're you know you kind of think oh they're so dramatic maybe you know you'll be able to think back to this time and how hard it was yeah definitely but uh having these chronic illnesses uh, I've had the pleasure of chatting with a number of people on this podcast like you that didn't necessarily have the smoothest path to a nice, quick and easy diagnosis from the doctors. Nope. Uh, do you want to just talk about your journey from when you were younger, first experiencing some of those GI issues to the point where you were fine or where you finally figured out uh, yes. what was going on with you? I'm going to try to give you the short version because it is a very long story yeah. that I think take up the whole podcast of me just telling you from the beginning, you know, once upon a time. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the shorter version as I can get, basically, I had been sick ever since I was a child, off and on. I always was getting like kidney infections and um, having stomach issues just as a kid. And I'm not going to, you know, get too graphic, but basically I was regurgitating even at the age of like three years old. And my mom would talk to the doctors about it and they would say that, oh, you know, she's just attention seeking. And my mom always thought they were crazy because they're like, well, she's three and she was never coming up to me and being like, look, mom, you know, I would be off in the corner and, you know, things would be happening to me and she'd be the one that had to come discover it. But, um, So pretty much ever since I was little, I feel like I've always been blown off. And then that just never got better. Those things progressively got worse. I was getting sick a lot, the GI issues. Fast forward to about 14 years old. On top of those things, I actually woke up in the middle of the night to go into the kitchen and get something to drink. And I passed out. Never had that happened to me before. And I had no idea what was going on. My mom heard me and came rushing. I actually hit my head on a doorknob, which is super safe. <laughs> but um, then I went to the doctor the next day, you know, trying to figure out what happened. And they told me I had something called POTS, which is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, but that I would grow out of it and there's nothing they could do for it. And I never had any real proper testing for it. It just was, you know, here's a sticker, have a good day, and went about my life. So as you start to grow up with these things, you actually kind of learn to live with them in your own way. You know, you make like a, like, oh, this is my way of living. This is my, this is my life. So we're just going to keep trudging through my life. And then I kind of didn't even really know any different because anytime I'd ever brought anything up, it was blown away. But finally, in my earlier adult years, when I turned 18, I had to kind of take a step back because that's when things really hit rock bottom for me. So I was getting sick 10 times more. I was having 10 times more GI problems or I really couldn't keep anything down. Um, I was having like syncope constantly and just no idea, no answers, nothing chronic back pain, nothing. And finally, one day I woke up and I couldn't breathe. And I went to the doctor and this guy who was the allergist and immunologist that dealed with, you know, lung issues or respiratory issues, he was like, you know, someone your age probably shouldn't be having these issues. Because I was diagnosed with severe asthma randomly at the age of 18. So he's like, I'm going to do some lab work. So we do some lab work. It comes back showing I actually have a lot of immune deficiencies. My immune system doesn't work at all. And from there, I was sent to another doctor 
who then sent me to another doctor, who then sent me to another doctor, oh my God. all along the way until I turned the age of about 22. I'm 23 now. I finally, in those, you know, four year ish time span, was able to get the answers that I needed. You know, I was sent to John Hopkins and got testing there. But even the doctors at John Hopkins told me, hey, you have this, but I can't do anything. If you can believe that, John Hopkins told me all what that was wrong with me, but that there was no help. And it actually took me searching on my own and reaching out to other members in the chronic illness community like, I can't live like this. How is anybody living like this? How do we get help? And for me, it was going to the Dysautonomia Conference. I definitely recommend that anybody that has chronic illnesses to reach out and find foundations and nonprofits for their diagnoses. A lot of them have conferences annually. And that's where I found so many answers and so many competent doctors. Um, the doctor I ended up seeing was actually awarded doctor of the year last year at the Dysanonamia conference. And he literally saved my life. He um, deals with so many patients from across the country because everybody like me has been told they can't get help and to eat an apple and, you know, just suck it up. Whereas, you know, we wake up every day and we're passing out all the time. We can't keep food down. We're getting migraines. You know, how is anybody functioning? No idea. But we finally see this doctor. Um, his name's Dr. Abdallah. And he did a million tests all in his office. They do the tilt table tests to see, you know, if you pass out standing up, which I did within the first five minutes. And that's your diagnosis of, you know, dysautonomia and the tachycardia syndrome. And because when you have something called dysautonomia, that means your autonomic system is dysfunctioning, hence the name dysautonomia. And with that comes a lot of fun other things. So with that is usually what they call an umbrella of diagnoses. A lot of people, actually females around my age, will have that, dysautonomia, will have mast cell activation syndrome, which is basically our mast cells are not functioning properly or too much, which leads to us having anaphylaxis basically to air um, anything. And then EDS, which is Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, and these are all fun, rare conditions that you have to go to the right doctor to find out that you have, because most doctors don't even, number one, know the name, number two, know how to diagnose it, and number three, what to do, even if they did. So it's really about that super long journey just to get answers that I wish I hadn't have had to wait that long to find out and be not to sound dramatic, but basically on my deathbed, um, waking up not breathing one day to finally be sent in the right direction after basically have been pleading my whole life for answers and never getting them. So that's my somewhat condensed version <laughs> of finding answers. And I finally am at the point where we know what's wrong with me. There's no cure for these things, but am I medicated? Yes. Am I being managed? Yes. Do I still have work that needs to be managed? Yes. But I feel so much more at peace just knowing. And I think that's one of the most important things with people who have chronic illnesses is they're told they're crazy. They're told they need to, you know, like I said, I literally had a GI doctor tell me to eat an apple for being severely constipated and not being able to keep food down. So I'm not sure how the apple would have worked, but it did not. <laughs> I never found the magic apple I was looking for. I've, I'm still on the lookout. So if you ever find it, send it my way. Um, that's what I'm going to start calling it, the magic apple. But basically, you know, they go through this, these paths and you're in your teenage years and you're like, I... I'm a child. Like I have no idea how to advocate for myself. So this has really built my character to be up to a point where I have to be in control of my own healthcare because nobody else is going to for me. Like I used to think that doctors were gods basically, you know, and my dad is actually a doctor. Here's, he's a pediatric ear, nose and throat. He knows nothing about adults like this. And he knows nothing about any of my conditions because that's not what he's trained in. But I always thought doctors, you know, what they said is what they 
that's the final word and they know what they're doing and there's no questioning it. But it comes, you know, down to it that that's not always the case. And you do have to find the right doctor that's willing to work with you and the one that actually wants to find answers. If you find a doctor that is, this is the way and this is the only way and I'm right and nothing else is right. That's not the doctor you want. And that was a lesson I had to learn that was hard, you know, that you don't have to keep a doctor. You can break up with a doctor just as much as a doctor can break up with a patient. You can break up with a doctor and you should, if you're not getting the care that you need a thousand percent, you need to move on. And like I said, that's really hard for a lot of patients to come to terms with, but you have to, you, you're worth it to yourself to find answers. And until you find answers, you're not really getting treatment. So, and that's really the most important part about it. It's not even just putting a name to it. I mean, sure, that feels nice to know, oh, this is actually called something. Like, this is why my body's broken. But it's, okay, well, now that we know what it is, we know how we can try to help you. We know how we can manage symptoms. So my whole goal in life is to try to educate patients I mean, I want to educate healthcare professionals too, but I think as patients, it's kind of our job to educate the healthcare community and to advocate for ourselves and to say, Hey, this is not the final word. Like this isn't, this isn't it. And I'm struggling here because I don't think anybody deserves to have to struggle for 20 years before they ever find an answer. So yeah, that's my, that's my mission in life. (laughs) Uh, it's funny, uh, also important that you bring up how you looked at doctors as these like godly geniuses that if they say something, they must be right. Um, I say funny because while you were saying that, it made me think of when I was around 18 to 20, uh, oddly enough, I'm 28 now, but um, I had some pretty bad joint issues, particularly my knees, and I went to a doctor that suggested, uh, I don't remember the specific surgery on my knees, but it was a pretty serious one um, that I would have had to do both knees and I would have essentially been out of commission, you know, doing one and then waiting till that was healed and doing the other one for close to a full year. And he talked about that surgery. I went to get a second opinion and he said, yeah, like you you could do that. Like, let's do it. And then I was down because, you know, I was so sick and tired of having my knee issues. And my mom was like, oh, let's just get one more opinion. And we went to some highly regarded physical therapist who within two minutes of being in his office and having me do a couple air squats was like, dude, you don't need surgery. Your muscles are just oddly tight and tense. So yeah, just, you know, working with him doing some foam rolling and stretching, uh, it helped now. I still haven't been able to figure out why my muscles are so tense and tight. So I'm still dealing with some issues, but it still just goes to show that, um, you know, a couple of doctors were saying surgery, surgery, but then I didn't need a surgery. Um, and again, I still have to find that root cause, but, uh, again, I, I was the same way as you, uh, until that happened. And, uh, slowly but surely I've, uh, not all doctors, but I don't, uh, I always, and I think it's a good thing, but I always question what a yeah. doctor says now. Uh, Cause again, you just can't take someone up on, on their word. Well, for sure. And like, I'm so happy that you got that third opinion. Cause can you imagine like having had surgery and then being told that later, like you actually didn't need that. Oh, I, I still would have been in pain and I, I would have been pissed oh, after yeah. for a year. Honestly, like you said, it's, it just takes that one doctor to be like, I know the answer. I mean, to the extent that he knows the answer that you didn't need surgery, mm-hmm. you know, but you I mean, it takes a million doctors to tell you, I don't know what's wrong with you. You know, I can't find the cause, but it takes the one doctor that actually cared enough to look deeper and see the underlying cause. Cause in the, in the doctor world, they have a saying that's called, um, don't look for like when you what is it oh gosh when you hear hoof prints or hoof beats oh i'm butchering this this part you might you could do it but basically it's when when you hear you know 
I think it's hoofbeats, like horses running. They say, think of horses, not zebras. That's what they nail into doctors. They say, find the common cause, not the rare cause. But in the chronic illness community, it's actually been turning that around in teaching doctors, when you hear hoofbeats, think zebras. And the zebras are the odd ones. We're the ones with the rare illnesses. We're the ones that come to you and you can't tell me what's wrong with me. So it's actually about us kind of actually trying to change the mindset of the healthcare world a little bit because that's how they're ingrained in medical school. Like when you hear hoofbeats, don't think about zebras, like you stick to horses. But now they're saying, no, there's actually a lot of zebras out there and you need to be able to see both sides for sure. So yeah. We're all zebras. We're, yeah. <laughs> we're um, at, uh, you know, a few years ago or even now. And uh, again, the podcast is called Unapologetically Me, so you could be real. Uh, did you have any anger towards oh. those doctors that uh, kind of just told you off? Yes. Oh, my gosh. And it wasn't even as much anger as it was just sad. I, I mean, I didn't really know what to be mad about because for me, like, you know, when you think that they're right, but part of you also knows that they're wrong, it's more just sad. Like, I just felt so alone and lost. Like, I had nowhere to turn and be like, okay, well, they said this, but I'm feeling this, and that doesn't make sense. And, you know, just the fact that I guess it felt like nobody cared enough about me to actually dig deeper and do the research. Whereas I kind of had to be the one to do that myself. And it just made me sad. What's funny now is that all these years later, now I'm actually a little more mad about it. Like I went through a phase after I finally got the diagnoses where I wanted to write letters to all the old doctors that told me that there was nothing wrong and show them the list of issues that they were discovered and be like, dear Dr. So-and-so, just to let you know, uh, the apple didn't work and I found out I had blah, 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 blah. No thanks to you. Have a great day. And I hope next time someone like me comes into your office, you can actually, you know, help them. Signed, Shelby. Like that's what I kind of wanted to do. Send my little hate letters. But I mean, now I'm, now I'm not going to do that, obviously. But I, I'm more at peace about it just because I'm like, I think I'm finally at the point where it's like, okay, you know, doctors, I understand they know so much and they have to fill their brains with so much, but I just want them to keep, keep an open mind, you know, like don't keep yourself in a box. If you don't know something, say you don't know something and then let's figure it out together. Like I definitely think healthcare should be a team effort on the patient and the doctor's part. Like, let's both make an effort to find what's going on with you because this sucks. So I'm not going to send any hate letters, but I definitely went through a period of sadness that turned to anger, whereas now I feel a little bit more at peace about it. I still have my moments, but for the most part, I'm not mentally writing hate notes <laughs> to the other doctors. <laughs> so, And I mean, once you do find, you know, those doctors that can help you probably just gives you a greater sense of gratitude. Oh, for um, sure. And, you know, I don't want to you know, sit here and continue bashing doctors because <laughs> it's, it's got to be so hard to, when you think about it, when you really start to look into, you know, your symptoms and what could be the, you know, the problem, if you have three different symptoms, well, that combination of three things, or even just two of them could lead to, you know, 70 different uh, diagnoses. Oh my gosh. So, and it's got to be so hard to be a doctor, but uh, it's like you said, it's about, it's about the effort, just putting in the effort to actually help them and not just being like, okay, you have this and this, that means that this is your problem and I'm not going to look into anything else. For sure. And that's what I mean. Like a lot of doctors get set in their own ways, but I totally understand. Like they have to know so much because how many people are they seeing in a day? You know, like so many different things wrong with people and I don't even know how they cram their textbooks into their brains just from medical school, honestly. Like I could not be a doctor, a thousand percent. So I am so appreciative of any doctors, honestly, but definitely just, you know, keeping 
keeping an open mind. It's okay to not know something, but doctors are amazing and obviously we need them. And I finally found the ones that worked for me and were able to steer me on the right path and finally get some help. So yeah, definitely not doctor bashing, but you know, just keep an open mind people. That's all I want. (laughs) Now you said when you were 18 is when you probably hit your lowest point. Mm -hmm. Um, Speaking from a, a mental aspect, uh, like what were some of the thoughts running through your head at the time? And then what helped you get out of that, uh, again, lowest point of your life? Well, when that was happening to me, that was still in my phase of unknown. So I still didn't know what was really going on. I just felt all the symptoms, like just, you know, being so sick all the time and just so much pain and what's going on. So it was a lot of fear at that point. And then also still feeling like, well, I'm kind of feel stupid going to the doctor, you know, after never having found anything before. So it was a dark place, honestly. And I think, you know, I always pair mental health and physical health together because they are like your brain is part of your body, period. And I think when a lot's, whoops, sorry. I think when a lot is going on with your body, it a hundred percent messes with your mental health too. Like those can't be separated. And I definitely felt like I had even just some hormonal imbalances going on, just chemical imbalances, all the imbalances, because my body just started spiraling and it all goes together, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, I definitely started experiencing sadness and fear and you know, frustration for not knowing what to do and for getting out of it. I mean, my honest answer is I feel like I honestly probably didn't get out of it until I found a doctor that was willing to help. Because until then I still felt all the same feelings. Like my body's falling apart. I don't know what to do. I'm scared to death that, you know, something's going to happen to me, which I was on the point of something is happening to me. Um, So I really feel like I honestly didn't even get out of that until I finally found that person that was willing to help me. But in the meantime, when you're going in that dark period, you have to, I mean, I had to stay strong. Like I didn't let myself completely fall apart. Like I didn't let myself, you know, get to any too unhealthy of a place. And it's just about talking to people. Like my mom is my best friend. So she was always the person that I talked to and told like, I'm so frustrated. I'm so sad today. Like I feel so crappy. And she was the one that was, you know, trying to cheer me up and keep me positive. And, and then obviously talking to your doctors and expressing your, you know, frustration and fears and, trying to stay active has been something that's really helpful. Like just keeping your body moving makes you feel so good. Even on the days where you feel like you can't move, it's like, if you could just go do one thing, like just take a short walk or just do some stretches or something, that dopamine levels are going to help you a hundred percent. So for me, it was family. It was, you know, talking to the professionals and moving around And I finally, this is one of the most important parts of my story, was able to get a service dog. Um, I don't know if you heard that in the other podcast, but her name is Luna. And she was even part of my treatment plan before I had all the answers because she was able to help the symptoms. Like the service dog doesn't need to know a name of what's wrong with you to help you with what's going on, if that makes sense. So she actually was one of the things that gave me my confidence back to even just go out and like live in the world with everything going on. Um, because I knew if something happened to me, she's there and she knows how to help me and she can actually alert me and prevent me from having things get too bad. Cause it was at a point where I was scared to go to sleep at night or I was scared to leave the house alone and I live alone. And, um, that was something that was really, really scary. Like, oh my gosh, I live alone. And what if I went to bed and my blood sugar dropped in the thirties and I didn't wake up like, or I didn't know because my blood sugars drop all the time and I don't feel it. 
but she's able to help me now and she can actually tell me before it gets too low. So I'm never at a dangerous point. And that's something that I a thousand percent recommend to anybody that is in a place where they could add that to their treatment plan because that's something that really brought me out of my dark place too, was having that confidence that something is there to help me if something went wrong. So that's my answer. (laughs) Hearing you actually talk about having a service dog on the other podcast was the first time I knew that people had service dogs for chronic illnesses. The only uh, people I thought had service dogs were blind people or maybe, uh, you know, military veterans that had PTSD. So. uh, Oh, there's a whole world about that that you'll have to dig into, but oh my gosh, such a lifesaver. Like she's my most important piece of medical equipment that I have. And she's all scent trained. It's like, she can literally smell my issues. She can smell when my blood sugar is dropping. She can smell when my heart rate's getting too high and tell me to sit down before I pass out. Like dogs are incredible and can do such amazing things. So yeah, that's amazing. You need to look into that more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, even if it's not a service dog, uh, just dogs for the everyday people are like such powerful medicine. Just the love that they constantly show uh, can just radiate uh, off onto other people. It's uh, the, the dogs might be the best thing in the world, to be honest. Oh you're right. Like, I think dogs are the best medicine, regardless if they're service dogs or not. It just helps that my dog knows my health issues. But I mean, just cuddling a dog on your bad days like that will definitely put a smile on your face for sure. Do you have a dog? No, I want to get two because I can't get one because then I feel so bad leaving it when I go to work every day. So I got to get two, but okay. I'm, I'm waiting till I have more time I can dedicate Uh, because I'm too busy right now but I I want I want a couple so bad oh yes you need one that's what's missing in your life I need I need two two yes I'm sorry you need two (laughs) three I don't know once you get two I mean what's three what's four what's what you know what's seven so true I mean honestly that's 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 very true growing up we always had dogs in our house and that was our parents way of thinking like well we already have two so was that a third? <laughs> yeah. For sure. Uh, but uh, so once, when when did you actually get the uh, your dog Luna? So almost two years. I bet about two years ago, because she's I had her when she was a puppy, and she's almost two. So around that time frame. So it was a little later in my journey, but still before I had all the answers. But she um. Yeah, she was a puppy and I fell in love with her. And then I started working with a company called Starfleet Service Dogs, like Star Trek. I don't know if you're in all that. Another <laughs> Not company. Really. Well, I know it though. You suck. It's fine. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but um, basically, that's their name. They're, they're literally called Starfleet Service Dogs and they have a few different programs. They actually have something called an academy dog where you get a fully trained service dog. You don't have to do any of the training yourself. It just, it's ready. It comes to you and you apply for it and it's free. And their whole company actually is tailored to people with chronic illnesses. I think they do help people um, like veterans and stuff, but they don't do any guide dogs because that's a whole different bowl game. But the company is completely dedicated to the chronic illness community. And a lot of clients they had had my issues. So when I found them, I was like, oh, you know, godsend, amazing. I'm so excited. And honestly, I can't judge you for not knowing really about service dogs <laughs> for the chronic illness community because I wasn't really knowledgeable about them either until it came time to, I was like, I'm not able to manage all of these symptoms on my own and medications haven't been really working where the doctor even kind of mentioned it. Like, have we thought about a service dog? And I was like, what? Like, that's a thing, you yeah. know? And I started looking into it and I'm like, that is a thing. And I mean, they're more common for like diabetics. Um, there are like autism service dogs and things like that. But honestly, it's coming around where there's a lot of 
people with um, psychiatric service dogs. There's service dogs that can alert you before you have a panic attack. Um, there's dogs for all different kinds of blood sugar issues, multiple sclerosis, fibromyalgia, um, just mobility dogs in general for people that have like balance issues. Honestly, these dogs are being trained for so many amazing things, but she had been doing this work since she was a puppy and now she's a graduated service dog and living her life, helping me live my life. And I, I mean, I would not recommend it enough. Like I, I don't think I would be here without her. She's alerted to me so many times where if she hadn't been there, I might not be here today. So yeah, she's my little angel. That's what I call her. <laughs> Obviously having her, um, helped a lot, made everything better, but trying to, and I don't know if it's possible, but trying to put Luna aside for a second, uh, did anything change from a mindset perspective from not knowing what was wrong with you and then find, slowly finding out what, uh, what was wrong? Changing in a mindset perspective, like if I started to feel more at peace about things. Yeah, yeah, just just anything, because uh, you know, like you said, now you have the medication which helps, but you still aren't a hundred percent. Like that might keep people more frustrated. Uh, some people might be at, at ease at least knowing what's going you know, going on with them. Definitely, definitely, and there is there is a general peace that comes with knowing. There's, in my opinion you know, knowledge is power in all aspects of life. So for me, knowing things and being able to put a name on it and figure out actually what is wrong definitely made me feel more empowered in my own healthcare, like to be my own advocate even more, which has then made me feel more peace, if that makes sense. Like, because now that I have answers, I feel like I can make myself more knowledgeable about these things. Like I know so much about the different diagnoses I have and diseases and things that are wrong because I've done my research. And I think like educating yourself about your own issues is so important. So you can use that knowledge to then better your your healthcare plan, you know? And with that has made me feel peace because I feel like I do have more say in my treatment plan and I do have more say in, you know, what's what's going on with me and what to talk to the doctors about and things like that because I'm able to say, hey, I, I, I'm having this issue and I know that this is part of this, so what can we do? And that makes me feel more confident and more peaceful. But there is still that point, obviously, like you were saying, where medications aren't working fully. My blood sugar is still dropping. Um, I'm probably going to end up having a pancreas transplant at this point. And those things are still scary, but I try not to dwell on them is my honest answer because it's kind of like at a certain point, there's really nothing you can do about it. If that makes sense. Like I, I do all the things I can to do what I can if that makes sense. And like my doctors are always trying to, you know, find different things. Well, let's try this medication. Oh, that didn't work. Let's try this one. Oh, that didn't work. And I mean, like I said, there's only so much you can do up to a certain point. And then it's just, you know, managing what we can and trying to fix what we can't. And for me, I'm kind of at that place for some of my things like, you know, well, my pancreas sucks. I can't, I can't really do anything about that. Um, so I can either sit here and really stress about having to have my pancreas removed, or I can try to think of it like, won't that be awesome when this pancreas is gone and I get a new one and I'm going to be doing so many more fun things and, you know, living my life even more. I don't know, but I, I try to spin it a little bit, if that makes sense. Yeah, so no, it all it all makes sense. Obviously, it's easier said than done, but yes. uh, I've tried to adopt that mentality during this current coronavirus uh, pandemic that's going on. Uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, particularly one person I work with, will always come with uh, you know some rumor or news he heard uh, mm -hmm. that's kind of scary. And you know, my answer is like, 
listen, like it is what it is. There's nothing we can do. You know, you take the precautions you can to stay healthy, but that's all you can do is, you know, it, it is what it is. If something happens, it happens. So I love that. And that's my um, thought process on this too. Honestly, it's like, even just for the chronic illness people, like we're doing what we can, we're taking even our own extra precautions. But after that, I mean, what else are you going to do? Like, are you going to go lay under the covers in bed and just never get out? I mean, I really don't know any other option besides, you know, Mm -hmm. just like you said, doing what they say to do, taking your precautions, and then what's going to happen is going to happen, but trying to think super positive about it. And we can't wait for this to be over for sure. And oddly enough, you know, the people that are stressing about it, uh, stress obviously weakens the immune system. So the more you worry and stress about it, the more likely you are to be uh, affected by it. Yes. Well, and honestly, in some states where this isn't a problem, I've seen a lot of people even getting yelled at and heard from friends in other states where they're out walking their dog on their street, which is allowed. Um, and neighbors are coming out and yelling at these people to take their dog inside. And that's kind of sad to me because people need to realize like going outside safely and obviously where you're, where you are allowed in your own little neighborhood or whatever it is and moving is going to help your immune system. Like if you guys are social distancing and you're walking your dog on your street, it's, it's a, it's a good thing, you know, and I don't think the neighbors should be coming around yelling at people for, <laughs> you know, trying to be healthy and keep their bodies healthy when people say go outside when you can. I mean, even in your own backyard, go outside. I mean, stay at home doesn't mean stay inside, if that makes sense. So, I mean, you still need fresh air, people. These are things that are going to keep your immune system up, like you were saying, and keeping you healthy you still need sunshine for sure yeah it's just that fear and misinformation out there where you know people think you know if someone has it and they're outside uh, it's somehow going to you know just be coming out of their skin and just you know going to everybody's home or something where you know if, if you're if you're 50 yards away uh uh and that person's not sneezing in your direction I, i'm sure you're going to be more than okay but Again, it's just that fear. For sure. And this is a definitely fear, fear driven time, you know, and I think that some different sides of people are coming out more because they're more stressed. So even with your neighbors, you might see them a little more angry than normal, but I mean, you can't blame them, but it's just about, you know, like you said, taking a step back and, you know, you can only do what you can do and hope that things stay as good as they can. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So just to get to the last couple of questions, if there is someone that is newly diagnosed with a chronic illness, what is one piece of advice you would give them um, from a, or to help them from a mental or emotional standpoint? That is such a good question. I've thought about that actually. Like if I could tell myself either before I got diagnosed or right after, like what would I, you know, what would I tell myself? Oh, right. I have prepared myself for anything. And I mean, just in general to anybody young or old who's, you know, finally gotten some answers, it's definitely going to be a roller coaster and it doesn't end just because you finally know you know, what's going on. You're still going to have your ups and downs. You're still going to have trial and error with your medical team. I mean, because that's really all of this is. This game of life is trial and error in different treatment plans. And, you know, what are we going to do next? That didn't work. Let's try this. Or maybe you'll be lucky and the first treatment you try is going to be the one that fixes you, but most likely that's not the case. So it's just about staying positive and knowing, you know, yes, you finally, you finally got some answers, but you know, hang tight because this is going to be the long haul for you. This is going to be the rest of your life. And you just have to keep fighting, keep remembering that your own, you are your best advocate and to just, you know, try to make peace with it. Cause like I said, there's a certain level of peace that comes when you're first diagnosed, but then there's also that fear. You're like, Oh crap. I have that. That sucks. I don't want that. 
you know? <laughs> so it's, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. Like, finally, I know what's wrong with me, but oh no, something's wrong with me. You know, you kind of grieve a little bit for the life that you wish you had had. I definitely feel like I've had a grievance period of like, I long for the life of a 23-year-old that I don't get to have or the future that I don't get to have because um, my life expectancy isn't as long as most people my age. And that sucks. And that's something I've had to come to terms with. But like I said, you know, you're in this for the long haul. You do what you can do and you just got to try to stay positive and just keep fighting every day. If assuming you're okay with it, if anyone has any questions or wants to reach out to you, uh, where would they be able to find you? Oh, for sure. So my Instagram <laughs> is one of them. Um, it's technically mine and Luna's because I actually share my story on there, but I also use it as a platform to spread awareness about service dogs. So you should look at it too, <laughs> Boomer. Um, so it's at service, like service dog service, dot angel dot Luna. So service.angel.luna is my Instagram with Luna, where we should kind of share our life together with people in the chronic illness community. And I've actually really gotten to connect with a lot of people similar to me on there. So it's a wonderful platform. Um, and then email, I'm always fine showing my email. It's not personal to me. It's my last name though, which is hard. So it's gotchalk. G-O-T-T-S-C-H-A-L-K, Shelby, S-H-E-L-B-Y, at gmail.com. So I'm always happy to answer questions. I know, like, I wish I had had someone to talk to whenever I was searching for answers, because it was not really a big, huge time of social media, believe it or not, when I was in my teenage years. Um, I mean, we're not that far apart in age. I think, you know, even growing up, there wasn't really a big Instagram thing. I don't even know it was around. Um, I wasn't so, even on Instagram until yeah. like two years ago. So well, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, all of this is kind of new. And I think social media has been such a great platform for people with chronic illnesses and disabilities to connect because that's where we finally found people like us that were able to relate to what's going on. Um, whereas when I was growing up and going through this, I had no else to talk to that was going through something similar. So I'm always happy to chat and answer questions and yeah, happy to talk. All right, great. Well, uh, Shelby, I just want to thank you for joining us and dropping some knowledge on us today. Uh, as I said it before we started, uh, just your energy, whether it's the, when you're speaking or just uh, emailing with you, uh, you know, it's, it's contagious and uh, I enjoyed this very, very much. And I feel more energetic now after uh, talking to you. <laughs> You're going to go take a jog, right? Oh, I, got, go I got one more to record after this, and then I'm going to go work out. <laughs> okay, go work out. Go find, go get some two dogs. That's what you need to do. Next yeah. step. Yeah, that That's uh, maybe step 14 or something, but it's okay. it's coming. Don't you worry. But uh, yeah. seriously, I, I do appreciate you uh, joining me today. Well, thank you. It was an honor. And yeah, I can't wait to hear the rest of your interviews later on the podcast. Hey, real quick before you go, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it if you could go to iTunes and leave us some feedback. Let me know what you loved, what you hated, or just come and say what's up. If you have any interest on being on the show or any questions at all, you can hit me up on Instagram at underscore one a week. And with that, be kind, be positive, be great. We out.